Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. So whether you read this verse, Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 or Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, in the Septuagint or the Masoretic text, it means the same exact thing. A great or a huge fish. Now, in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, it changes into the feminine, daga or daga gadol. It's a possible transfer. And so what this alludes to is that A, point number one, is a possibility that Jonah spent three days within the whale. Jonah was in the dad gadol, or the masculine whale. Great fish, or huge fish, for three days, at the end of Jonah chapter 1, and verse 17. But when we begin chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah cried out unto Yahweh his God, out of the daga gadol, or the feminine great fish. Why the transfer? And what's the significance? Because point two, if Jonah spent three days within the belly of the whale, then he was in the womb of the whale, or the grave. So while it is that death comes full circle to rebirth, so it was in the case of Jonah. Then, chapter two, verse one says, then, going from masculine to feminine, Jonah cried out unto Yahweh his God, out of the fish's womb, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto Yahweh, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. According to the mouth of the minor prophet Jonah, he does not say, I was in a whale, I was in a great fish, I was in a dagadol, or a dagagadol, or even a ketos megas, according to the Septuagint, a huge fish. He says, I was in the belly of hell, period. Do you understand now why Matthew chapter 12 says what it says and Yahshua had to remind the wicked and perverse generation, just like the Ninevites, their wickedness came up before Yahweh God? So it is for Yahshua. In Matthew chapter 12, he has to say there is no sign, but as it was, here's the sign. Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall it be that I will be and overcome death. Do you want to die to your sins or do you want to live unto Christ? Christ said, if you believe in me, you shall never taste of death. That is a promise. <laughs> so do you believe it? Jonah was sent to go and preach against the Ninevites. Christ came to preach against the traditions of men. And that was the very reason Jonah did not want to go into Nineveh, the great city. Because another parallel and proof that Jonah was a prefigure to Christ was that there was a withering of tradition. A withering of the traditions of men. Because within Nineveh were all the pagan gods, most likely Dagon, 
Now, leave it to the heathen to worship the creation instead of the creator. They would worship the whale or the great fish, the great fish god. But they seemingly, time and time again, could not worship the creator. And that's exactly what we see in chapter 1, most assuredly. The mariners turning to Yahweh God through the sacrifice of Jonah. Continuing on, Jonah and his reconsecration. This is his prayer. And even though many theologians will come in and debate and say this prayer was added at a later date, I believe it's apropos. His prayer is this. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto Yahweh God, and he heard me. So oftentimes, Yahweh brings you into affliction so you will serve him better. And that's what the waves upon the sea and the wind and the tempest tossing of the ship represented. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto Yahweh, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou, Yahweh God, heard my voice. For thou had cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the flood compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves were passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. What vivid imagery from the prophet Jonah. This is his prayer. And if you are able to notice that it ties perfectly into Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, and the catabole of Satan. Because in the beginning there was darkness upon the face of the deep. Deep what? Deep waters. And that's why Jonah had to go in the belly of hell, or the belly of the whale. <laughs> Remember that he says two terms, the belly of hell and the deep, both. Referencing pure darkness. Christ came what? A light unto the Gentiles. Jonah was meant to be a what? Go to Nineveh and cry against them. To be a light, a testimony. Continuing on. Jonah says, The waters compassed me about to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Yahweh my God. Now, I don't need to point out to you that this also represents a precursor to Christ's ministry that began in John the Immerser. And that Jonah going into the sea or that water and coming back out of it again represents the act of baptism. In chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, verse 6, Jonah says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Those are those on the bottom of the sea covered by water. The earth or the arets with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou, Yahweh God, has brought up my Life from corruption. So, we can become new creatures in Christ. And the last sermon I will be preaching this year will be Old Things Passed Away, or possibly titled, A New Creature in Christ. It will be my New Year sermon, given the final Wednesday of this month, December. But Jonah went down to the bottom of the ocean. That's what the narrative says. And while the natural man may not be able to understand or even comprehend 
terms like a great whale or the bottom of the ocean, these quote-unquote mountains at the bottom of the sea, or the earth and her bars, and they seek to explain it away, my advice is take it at face value. Christ said great fish. Christ said in the Greek, a whale. Jonah and the text says a great fish. And either way you look at it, Yahweh God prepared it. So again, in Hebrew, the definition is literally a fish. And there is a transfer from chapter 1 to chapter 2. It changes from dog-gadol to dog-gadol. Or a male huge fish to a female huge fish. And Jonah, by extension, is explaining that. Then Jonah prayed out of the womb of the feminine, but spent three days within the womb of the masculine. So there is a transference. Technically, we could say it like this. Death equates to the masculine, and resurrection equates to the feminine. Verse 7. When my soul fainted, Jonah said, within me, I remembered Yahweh God, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. What is Yahweh's holy temple? Well, it is outwardly portrayed as the mercy seat. And above that mercy seat are two cherubs with wings outstretched. So at the end of this month, look for my sermon, Do Angels Have Wings? Because we're going to get into that. But when Jonah's soul fainted within me, he remembered Yahweh God, and that is why God called him. Do you think for a moment Yahweh God did not know that Jonah would be disobedient and rebel against his order? But yet notice that Yahweh God used Jonah's disobedience for good, much as he can you and I. So, like we began the study, with the cries of the Ninevites being so great, that the wickedness came up before Yahweh God? So it was with Jonah. When his soul fainted within him, he remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. And so, either way, a man is born, he lives, and he dies. But the only thing that lives on after his death, post-mortem, are his deeds. And so, be them righteous or unrighteous. Strive for the righteous mammon, as Christ taught. When Jonah's soul fainted, then he cried to Yahweh God. Yahweh knew that's what it required for Jonah. And so, many times in life we ask ourselves, why do bad things happen to good people? This is why. Because oftentimes our soul must faint within us. We must truly die to ourselves or face a hardship or a war or a death so that we can have our eyes opened so that we can remember Yahweh God. Verse 8 of Jonah chapter 2. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Who are some people that Jonah would be familiar with that observed lying vanities or false idols? The mariners initially. And they would have forsaken their own mercy, would they have not? Except Yahweh God had caused Jonah to do what he did through disobedience, they would most likely still be serving their lying vanities or their false idols. Jonah continues in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that, that I have vowed. Salvation is of Yahweh. Jonah chapter 2 
verse 9. Salvation is of Yahweh. The main theme of Jonah and the four Gospels is salvation. And Jonah realizes that. And being that we're only a few weeks away from the Thanksgiving holiday, notice that Jonah was thankful for being vomited yet again onto dry ground. But what was required before that happened? Salvation. And what was required before salvation? Or him being vomited back onto the earth or Ares? Repentance. Jonah was unrepentant when he was headed for Tarshish. But now that Yahweh God is snapping him back to reality, he will sacrifice unto Yahweh God with the voice of thanksgiving. Each and every one of us should do the same exact thing. And not only that, pay what we vow. Christ said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Jonah realized that before Christ even came. Verse 10. And Yahweh spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah on the dry ground. What a beautiful book. Because here, in the final verse of chapter 2, we are given a linchpin that leads us to the next chapter, in the same exact manner as chapter 1. Remember that chapter 1 ends on verse 17. Yahweh prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, at the end of chapter 2, final verse, being verse 10, we are reminded, Yahweh spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry ground. So the sacrifice was made. He was thrown overboard. And three days he dwelt within the belly of the whale. And believe me, brothers and sisters, as all things come from the word of God, so it is that fables and myths come from the word of God. Did not Pinocchio spend three days within the belly of the whale, and would not Geppetto represent Yahweh God? Ah, uh, be that as that's a story for another day. We're going to conclude the final two chapters. And so far we've proven ten specific parallels proving that Jonah was a prefigure. Meaning that both what Jonah did or went through was exactly what Yahshua did or went through. Number one was the whale represent hell or the grave. Number two is that Jesus Christ would sacrifice himself. So did Jonah. He said, throw me overboard. Number three would be that the cross and ship are both made of wood and the sacrifice needed to be made. Christ was taken down from the cross when he was dead and Jonah was thrown overboard from his wooden vessel. Number four is we just covered it at the conclusion of chapter two. The vomiting up of Jonah onto dry ground represents, you guessed it, the resurrection and new life in Christ. Now, notice also that Jonah will spend 40 days and 40 nights preaching to the Ninevites. So it was that Christ wandered in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted of the devil. Number six is that he was called to preach to the Gentiles. In the case of Yahshua, those of the Gen. And in the case of Jonah, the Ninevites. Number seven is that through Jonah or Yahshua and their sacrifice that they made, their acknowledgement of truth, God was able to calm the storm in both accounts. Number eight is that there will ultimately be a withering of tradition. From the time of the giving of the Mosaic Law until the time of Jonah, 
and most assuredly the times of Christ. There are men and women who would step aside from what was commanded unto the traditions of men. There is no new thing under the sun. What Joel Olstein or Billy Graham preach is feel-goodism. It's tradition. And nine times out of ten, it's not even tradition. But Christ said, the traditions of men make no the word of God, and so it was. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites to wither their tradition, and Christ was sent to the Israelites to wither their tradition, so that we would have either truth or lies. Notice that Jonah says, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. So Christ taught similarly in the temple of Jerusalem. Number 9 is that there was a godly worm within the gourd. And we're going to get to that before we conclude. Number 10, finally, is that Christ asked for the cup of wrath to pass from him before he made that ultimate sacrifice. And Jonah ran, and ultimately tried to hide from Yahweh God before he made his sacrifice and said, throw me overboard because I am the reason this hardship has come. So, in chapter 3 of the book of the minor prophet Jonah, beginning in verse 1, the word of Yahweh came unto Jonah the second time, saying, stopping right there, notice chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 1 verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of Yahweh came unto Jonah. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of Yahweh came unto Jonah. However, this time it was for the second time. Notice the differences. The first time the word came, the second time so also the word came. Same word. However, the first time Jonah was reluctant, disobedient. The second time he was receptive. Why? He had to die to self. So the second time Yahweh God tells Jonah what to do. What does he say? Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Notice, Yahweh God does not change. What he commands in chapter 3, so he commanded in chapter 1. Initially, Yahweh says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Here in chapter 3, he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Jonah didn't want to do it, but realize oftentimes the reluctant, genuine prophet of Yahweh God, who is doing it because he has no other option, there is no backsliding from truth, will have to preach what Yahweh God gives him. Each and every one of us can only use what God gives us. Do you understand the difference? Jonah did what he had to do because he was created to do exactly what he did. And ultimately... There was a conversion of these Gentile Ninevites. And this is the second commission. This time, however, Jonah is obedient. What happens? Chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city on a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So while it is that Yahshua in Matthew chapter 12 says there is no sign given to a wicked and perverse genios, save the sign of Jonah being within the belly of the whale for three days, here's one specific sign that is given to a non-perverse generation. The Israelites, pay close attention. 
Jonah began to enter into the city, the city of Nineveh, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when he returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Why was Christ 40 days and 40 nights within the wilderness? To overcome the flesh. And understand that as well. The devil recognized that and exploited it. He realized Christ was hungry and said, Command that these stones be made bread. He realized that Yahshua was desperate and said, He shall give his angels charge over thee, call upon them. But Yahshua overcame. Jonah now is overcoming and pronouncing what Yahweh God has told him to tell the Ninevites. He says, And forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, remember, Christ overthrew the devil in 40 days. But there was a warning on day one. Chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What this means is every Ninevite, man, woman, and child, put on sackcloth. Very important because we're going to get to it in verse 8. But that is a proclamation of lamentation, meaning that they were upset and repentance which again is the integral theme of the book of Jonah and Christ's ministry. They proclaim a fast. They put on sackcloth and say, you know what, we're serving the wrong God. It worked. Jonah's obedience, had he done this initially, would things have been different? We don't know. But from chapter 1 until now, there's an epiphany and a change in Jonah. And Jonah says, now I will obey. And he goes. And he tells them, this city is going to be destroyed. If I, for sake of argument, were to go to downtown Atlanta and tell them, you know, all this faggotry, all this drug use, all of this sin and transgression of God's law is ultimately going to lead to God raining fire upon this city, I'd be laughed out of any church, majority-wise, because this is the sign of the genuine prophet. They do not understand who? Those that follow tradition. Jonah is breaking through that tradition. Notice he says, right here in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Overthrown of what? Well, tradition was one aspect of that. The people of Nineveh believed Yahweh God, and they proclaimed a national fast. They put on sackcloth, which is a sign of lamentation. 
and from the greatest of them to the least, from the poorest to the rich. Verse 6. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and he covered with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the kings and nobles, saying, quote, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto Yahweh God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Notice that the king of this pagan city, <laughs> this multicultural city of Nineveh, was able to proclaim a fast and say, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto Yahweh God. What does this prove? Well, this proves that this is designated for the six-day creation. The beast of the field or the ethnos. Not that they can be saved, but the proclamation of the king of Nineveh was that. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let the entire city of Nineveh, being a great city, mourn and lament for serving false gods. And not only that, this proves that these beasts have hands. Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Notice. There was a transfer or an eroding of tradition, a withering, if you will. That was what changed. Jonah began to enter into the city and said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What within Nineveh? The traditions of men. Exactly what Christ came to preach against. Because right here at the conclusion of chapter 3, we're reminded God saw the works of the Ninevites and that they all turned from their evil way through the words of Jonah. Jonah was an instrument of Yahweh God. Thus, God repented of the evil that he said he would do, and he did it not. Now, that would make Jonah a liar if Yahweh God said, I am going to destroy Nineveh and not do it. But he said, I will overthrow Nineveh. And because they repented and were covered with sackcloth and cried mightily unto God, God said he would not destroy the city parallel to Abraham on the plains of Mamre making intercession for Lot within Sodom. And so now the final chapter of the book of the minor prophet Jonah verse 1 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. What displeased Jonah? It displeased Jonah that Yahweh God repented of the evil that he said he would do to the Ninevites. And that's what we ended chapter 3 on, correct? God saw their works, and he repented, and he did not destroy the city. But in that, he still overthrew their tradition, because they repented, they turned from their false idols, they acknowledged Yahweh God, and proclaimed a national fast, did they not? But it displeased Jonah, whereas it should have pleased him. Now, the heart of Yahweh God is that all should come to repentance. The heart of Jonah, 
here in chapter 4, at the very beginning, is not the heart of Yahweh God. So much so that it displeased Jonah when the Ninevites repented, and that when God did not destroy them. Who does this remind you of? Many of the doom and gloom preachers that exist today who come in and say, you know, America's going to be destroyed, this city and that city. Much of that is true. But if Yahweh were able, through a prophet like Jonah, to have an entire city repent, unlike Sodom, that was destroyed with fire, wouldn't that be pleasing? It would be pleasing to God. It should be pleasing to a genuine prophet. And of course, Jonah is not a bogus prophet. But he was a reluctant prophet. And this is part of that reluctance. Jonah needs to be corrected. And Jonah is going to be angry. Something that a prophet of Yahweh God should do, but sin not. So, chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto Yahweh and said, I pray thee, O Yahweh, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now Jonah saith, O Yahweh, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said Yahweh, Doest thou well to be angry? Question. What good does this do you? Why worry, says Yahweh God. Notice that Jonah's prophecy did not come true. And he took it as a slight against him. Or so he deemed. Now the prophecy did come true. They turned to Yahweh God and turned from their tradition. Which is the eighth part proving that Jonah was a prefigure to Christ. A withering of all tradition. But Jonah has to complain. He's upset. What good was his prayer, in short? A man who is angry and at the mercy and pleasure of God does not need to expect his prayers to be answered. And that is why Yahweh God says, Doest thou well to be angry? Question. Verse 5 of Jonah chapter 4. So Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So Jonah, if you will, is pouting, and he goes east of, not Eden, but Nineveh, and he relaxes under a tree, quote-unquote, a proverbial tree. And he wants to see what's going to happen. He prays to Yahweh God, but it's a prayer made in anger. Therefore, it does him no avail. And Yahweh God reminds him of that. Doest thou well to be angry? Of course not. Yahweh God will not hear the prayer of an angry man, And so with that chastisement and rebuke, Jonah says, you know what? I'm going to go east of Nineveh. I'm going to lay here in the cool of the day, in the shadow. And I might be able to see what's going to happen to the Ninevites and the entire city that I just went and preached against. Verse 6, And Yahweh God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Notice, Jonah required a sign. The Pharisees required a sign. And we began this two-part study on that aspect that Yahshua said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, that
that a wicked and perverse generation requires a sign. Jonah was still a prophet, but he was an angry man. He was a reluctant prophet, and not only that, basically had much hubris and ego, and he had to empty himself out of that. So he says, you know what, I'm going to sit right here under this tree and find out what happens. Meaning that Jonah was still hoping that Yahweh God would destroy the city and his own converts of 120,000 people. He could only wait and see what God would do, but God had already made up his mind. It repented him, and he said, you know what? I'm not going to destroy the Ninevites. So, here is God's gourd. A miracle. A sign. Now, before we continue, I want to point out something else. That the terminology gourd, at least according to St. Jerome, was translated as ivy. And it appears as both gourd and ivy in the Septuagint translation. Fitting and very appropriate when you consider that Christ would teach, I am the vine, you are the branches. And whosoever does not dwell or abide within me is lopped off and thrown within the fire. Jonah didn't need to sit back and see what would happen. You already know what's going to happen. The wicked are burned and the righteous shine forth. We understand that, do we not? Yahweh God prepared a gourd just like he prepared the fish and made the fish vomit Jonah back onto dry ground again. And God made it to come up over Jonah that it might shower over his head. And it worked. Verse 7. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished in himself to die a second time, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Second time. Notice Jonah two times in chapter 3 says that. Chapter 3, verse 3, in his prayer, and his complaint, Jonah says to Yahweh, Therefore, O Yahweh, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to live than to die. And right here, in verse 8, Jonah fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Is Jonah wrong in this? Of course not. The man who only sees flesh would say, Why would Jonah want to die? That's a horrible way of being. But understanding that the entire theme of Jonah is about repentance and going into water and coming back up out of water onto dry land, a new vessel, then you understand that that represents dying unto self. Jonah, in short, is saying that it is better that I die to self and live unto Yahweh God, just as Paul commands us to die unto self and live unto Yahshua, the Christ, or Yahweh the Christ, correct? So, two times he says it, and here is the moral of the story. It is found within the final three verses of the entire book of Jonah. That is, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry unto death. Then said Yahweh, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are ye more than six 
score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle. Do you see the allegory and how it correlates to Christ? How can we become upset over a gourd, something that we didn't do, something that is natural? A tree, for example, dying within the wilderness, when that is the providence and natural ordinance of Yahweh God. And at the same time, be angry over our own work. Then said Yahweh God, thou hast had pity on the gourd, and you didn't even labor for it. You didn't make it grow, I did. It came up in a night, and it perished in a night. I, Yahweh God, has done this. So therefore, should I not spare Nineveh, a great city? With thousands and thousands of people who do not have the ability to discern between right and wrong. Here rendered between their right hand and their left hand. The right hand being Yahweh God. The left hand being transgression or traditions of men. So, several points once again before I conclude. This book of Jonah is set in the reign of Jeroboam the second. He reigned from 786 to 746 B.C. The main theme of all four chapters of Jonah is repentance. There are over ten parallels and similarities between Jonah and Yahshua. There is also a transition between Jonah chapter 1 and the great whale being masculine into Jonah chapter 2 and the great whale being feminine. And finally, that, that gourd that Jonah became angry over was translated as vine or ivy, according to St. Jerome. As it was, Christ said, There is no sign given a wicked and perverse generation except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. So also he tells us, He is the vine. We are the branches. So, Jonah was able, when it was all said and done, to dwell within the safety of Yahweh God and His Word, knowing that Yahweh God knew what was best, not Jonah. If Jonah would have had his way, every one of these men that ultimately would have been converts and brought into the covenant with Yahshua Messiah at a later date, being Gentiles, would have been destroyed. So it is always the will of Yahweh God, not the will of you or I, the man or woman. And Jonah recognized that. And so, I hope that this two-part series into the entire book of Jonah has edified you in numerous ways. But more than that, I was able to prove that Jonah was a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of a coming Redeemer given almost a thousand years before the fact. So never underestimate that. And if you're able to, tell the story of Jonah and the great whale to your children so that they in turn in successive generations can repeat the story and tell them. Because when we tell this story, we are not necessarily talking about Jonah being thrown into the sea and being swallowed by a great whale and spending three days within the belly of the whale, etc. We're actually pointing our children, to Christ and the sacrifice He made. We are also pointing them to baptism. We are pointing them to dying to self and showing them how to be humble and accept 
our lot in life. Jonah, initially at the beginning of the book, tried to circumvent Yahweh's will for him. But that is impossible. That's how it stands for me and each and every one of you, my listeners. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church wishing you and your entire family great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.